Because of Jesus, I am a accepted, adopted, approved, and alive. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am B, beloved, blessed, born again, and a bond servant of Jesus. I am C, chosen of God, a child of God, citizen of heaven, and crucified with Christ. I am D, delivered from darkness, dead to sin, and a disciple of Jesus. I am elect, I am forgiven and free. I am God's workmanship. I am an heir through God and hidden in Christ. I am the image of God and forever in Christ. J, I am justified by faith. K, I am kept for Jesus and known by God. L, I am the light of the world and loved by the Father. M, I am more than a conqueror and a minister of reconciliation. N, I am a new creation. I am not ashamed. I am not forsaken. I am not condemned and I am never alone. I am an oak of righteousness, once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm a priest of the Most High, and I am pleasing to God. I am qualified by the Father. I am redeemed, righteous, rescued, ransomed, and reconciled. S, I am a saint and the salt of the earth. T, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. U, I am under grace and united with Christ. V, I am victorious through Christ and vindicated by God. I am a witness of God's power, a worshiper of Jesus, and washed by the Spirit. I am an ex-enemy of God. I am yoked with Christ, and I am zealous for good works and for the glory of God. That's who I am, and that's who you are in Him. Good to be reminded who we are in Christ sometimes, isn't it? Today is Graduate Recognition Sunday, and uh, I know, where are my graduates? Got to make sure I see them. Yeah, I like Emily does this. Okay, I do see you, Emily. Yes, okay, good. Emily and Park back there, and we got Jesse over here. Okay, so all three of y'all, come on up here. Just going to give you a, a, a prize. I'm going to pray over you. Um, Jesse Beckham. Come on up, Jesse, and there's Emily Lively and Park Warren, and we want to, uh, we got a little gift card for you. Y'all come on up here. I know you got to come up in front of everybody. This is such a great uh, accomplishment, but it's just the beginning, right? Y'all have been hearing that over and over. It's just the beginning. And so um, we want to tell you that we're proud of you, but we know that, um, I, I know your mom has been struggling. I don't know. I haven't seen, she's been posting all these crying things and all of this stuff because she can't believe that you're already 18, all of those things. But we want to tell you guys that we're proud of you and we want to pray over you and commit as a church um, to continue praying for you as you go on and as you do great things in life. We expect to hear great things from you guys in the future. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for these three special uh, young people, Lord. You created them for a purpose. And God, we believe that you, uh, you have saved them and you have gifted them to make an incredible impact, not just in the physical world, but in the spiritual world. So Lord, we release them into your hands. We ask that you do great things through them. Lord, if they step off of your path, I pray that it would take very little correction to get them back on your path. And then God, I pray that, that we would hear of the mighty things you've done through uh, Jesse, through Emily, and through Park. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give them a hand. And y'all be sure and hug their neck later today.
tell them congratulations. As a youth minister, I hated Graduate Sunday because I'd invested in these kids for so long and, and they, get to, they get to leave and I have to stay behind without them. So uh, uh, we're proud of you guys and, and look forward to what God's going to do. A couple of announcements before we get into our sermon today. Um, notice on, your, on the back of your listening guide that we do have a small group fellowship coming up and we, do, we are going to provide child care for that. It's on a Friday night, June 3rd. We need to know, though, how many kids are going to be here for child care. So it's free to you, but Miss Tammy needs to know how many kids are coming. So if you're planning to get together with small group on that Friday night, please let Tammy know how many children you're going to have here. 6 to 9 p.m., um, you'll have to pick them up at 9 p.m. We're not going to keep them overnight. We love you, but we're going to give your kids. We love your kids, too, but we love them so much we will give them back to you so that you can spend the night with them. Uh, June 5th is a couple of things. We have our missions and leadership lunch that day. We're having baked potatoes and all the fixings. And that day, we're going to have a um, Lake Charles meeting. If you're going with us to Lake Charles, we need you here just real quickly after the service that day. We'll give you an itinerary. We'll hand out all of our T-shirts for the the trip. Uh, We're also going to have our leadership lunch, and then we're going to have our membership class. So on that day, y'all help me remember this, that anybody who's going to join that day, you get to go first through the line. You'll get your baked potatoes, get all the fixing. You'll head back to the, to the youth room, and we'll have our membership class back there. Um, if you're going to Lake Charles, all of your money is due, and all of your forms are due. Um, uh, and if you didn't get that done, then we'll take care of that. Notice that New Life is going to turn 20 years old on June 22nd. We're going to have a big party on June 26th. We're going to have a, a cookout that day, and we're going to have all kinds of water games and stuff outside. We'll have the inflatables back here. We will need some help putting up the inflatables. If you got anywhere near the inflatables on either one of our um, big days when we did uh, Be the Church or when we did the... the uh, fall fest out here, then, then you are already trained in how to put up and how to take down inflatables. And we expect you to be here to help us out. And notice, I just want you to be aware of this on July 31st. So two weeks from today is our next family worship. So that's the fifth Sunday in May. Our fifth Sunday in July is going to be different because Mount Olive from Lake uh, Charles is going to load up in a bus and they're going to drive up here that day. Our our church, our band will do worship and uh, Pastor Braylon Harris will be, be preaching that day. So just want you to know we're going to have a big uh, catered barbecue that day. We're going to get the, all of the food, all of the meat from Sheps, and we're going to ask you guys to bring all the side dishes and dessert that day because we just want to bless Mount Olive and, and have a great time with them. All right. <clears throat> Would you agree or disagree that religion can be weird? Agree or disagree? Now, if you've ever been to Austin, you know what Austin's slogan is? keep Austin weird. And that's not a good thing. That's not a compliment. And when I say religion can be weird, it's not a compliment compliment either. Uh, If you were here last week, I showed you some pictures of the ultra-Orthodox Jews, not just Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox Jews. Remember that? That's a little bit different. I don't know why they dress that way. They have the fuzzy hats. They have the curly sideburns that come down and and something about the longer the curly cues, I don't know, the better you are. I don't know. But they're not the only ones that dress differently. Now, let me show you a picture of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. This is, so supposedly, I, I honestly don't believe this, supposedly this is where Jesus was laid to rest. It's where his tomb was. So they put up this, this little 
building inside of a massive building. And go ahead to the next one. And, and so what they do is, this is part of the tour when you go to Jerusalem. See those lines? You go in, and there's a place where supposedly Jesus was laid, and it's supposed to be one of these holy sites, and there's a priest in there. And the priest, if you stay too long, he will scold you. If you touch something, he will scold you. He's in there. He's almost like, you know, the stereotypical Catholic nun teacher that smacks your, your, your wrist with. That's what he's like. So this lady comes in and she's just weeping. She's in front of me. I'm just going in to see what it's like. And, and he scolded her and made her get out because she took too long at the holy site. Now, the, the church of the holy sepulcher is actually run by three different groups. They don't know who owns it. So three different uh, they call themselves Christian groups, run it. The Greek Orthodox, the Franciscans, who are called the Latins, I don't know why, and the Armenians. Now, I want to show you some pictures, because it's not just the ultra-Orthodox Jews that dress differently. I want you to see that what these three different groups look like. So here's the Armenian priest. All right, nothing wrong with that. Here's a Catholic priest. Here is a Church of Christ preacher. Here's a Franciscan friar, and I'm, when I say that, F-R-I-A-R, not F-R-Y-E-R, because we got too many rednecks in here. What do you fry? No, it's a, fran- it's a friar, like, in, like a position. So here's Franciscan, fri- Franciscan friars. Here's a Greek, Greek Orthodox priest. And then here's a Lutheran priest. Now, I don't bring this up at all to make fun of people. What I'm bringing up is that different religions do different things. And, and if it's your religion, it's not different, right? If it's your religion, you just think that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. It's everybody else that's wrong. So if you were just going to guess, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, and, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to guess which of the ones go with which churches. All right, so here's, here's a church. Anybody know what kind of church that is? It's Lutheran. Anybody know what church this is? You don't want to say, it is Catholic. Yes, you were afraid to say Catholic. You know what kind of church this is? Church of Christ. Now, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm making this point. If it's your religion, it seems normal. If it's someone else's, it doesn't seem normal. Because let me just ask. Lots of people think we're weird when they come to our church. How many of you thought we were bizarre the first time you came? Hang on. I want you to look around. Some of them, my wife raised her hand. That preacher's weird. (laughs) She would know better than anyone. We started on a Saturday night. People thought we were a cult because we met on a Saturday night. And and I remember Nicole saying there were words on the wall. She'd never been to a church that didn't have hymnals. And so their eyes got big. They almost didn't come back because we put words on the wall. That church is weird. Right? It's just weird if it's new to you. And, and whether, whether the preacher wears Crocs and, and T-shirts and is bald, whether that's weird to you has a whole lot to do with your background more than it does whether we're a biblically functioning community. Just as all of those pictures of those people, they may look religious, but we don't know whether they're biblically functioning until we get to know them, right? So the point I'm trying to make is we've got we to, what I want our church to be is accurate to the Bible. The Bible is our sole authority. We are affiliated with the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention, but they don't tell us how to believe and what to believe. We, we want to be a biblically, biblically <laughs> functioning community, if you can say that. 
Now today I want to give you some facts about religion and then I want to talk about what we want to be as a church and it's going to come from scripture. So first fact about religion is this, religion can be superstitious. So a random superstition of the week, I discovered this a while back and I was reminded of this this week, that that there are certain people who believe you should not put anything on top of your Bible because that will offend God. It doesn't matter whether you read the Bible or not. Just don't put anything on top of it because God might get mad. Is that a superstition? You better believe it is. Superstition is everywhere. But let me ask you this. Have you ever done something in the name of religion, not because you understood it, but because you were afraid not to do it? Uh, I bet you have. That's superstition. When I see someone says, the face of Mary appeared in the bark of a tree at Brushy Creek, I think that's a little goofy because how do you know? Who's got a picture of Mary? What if it's Sally? What if all these people are showing up and they're worshiping Sally? Because does anyone know what Mary looked like? I've got a baked potato that's the spitting image of Jesus. How do you know? I'm sorry, that's just goofy to me. Well, let me show you some other things that I think are kind of goofy. So this is from Israel. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures from Israel. This is called the Church of the Annunciation. So supposedly, we don't know this for sure, but if you go, your guide will tell you that you can kind of see back there in the back, there's this little hole. It's a cave. And supposedly, that's where the angel said to Mary, you're going to have a child. And so, because they're superstitious, they built a building around it. You can't go in there, but you can look. And you have to be real quiet. You have to be real reverent when you go in. Here's another one. Mary's well. You can see what they've done to Mary's well. Supposedly, this is where Mary got water when she was a girl, and it's where she got water when when she and Joseph were married, and they had Jesus. And so what do people do? Superstitiously, they throw coins. They They throw prayers down in there, thinking that if they put that where Mary got water, maybe God will listen to them. Here's another one. Jesus' first miracle in Cana. What, did, what was his first miracle? You remember what he did? He turned water into? Well, we went down in this place, and, and this, is, this is supposedly where it happened. We don't know. But, hey, let's build a building so maybe some tourists will come here, and we can, get, we can capitalize off of this superstition. There's one more. This one's kind of the weirdest one to me. So Capernaum is one of my favorite places. So the Sea of Galilee, it's at the top of the Sea of Galilee. This was Jesus' adopted hometown. He was there more than, than just about any other. This is actually Peter's. So this is, this is a, uh, uh, a church that they built on top of the archaeological dig that was supposedly Peter's mother-in-law's house. So you remember when Jesus goes in and, and Peter, Peter's mother-in-law is sick and, and so he, he heals her and she gets up and, and so this is what happens. So there's a glass floor on the bottom of this church and so you sit in pews around the glass floor where you can look down on what used to be Peter's mother-in-law's house because you're more spiritual if you go to church over Peter's mother-in-law's house than if you go to New Life Community Church, Right? So I'm just pointing out that religion can be very superstitious. And if you go to the Holy Land, you'll see superstition everywhere. 
Another thing I want you to know is religion can be legalistic. Nobody's, nobody's been in a legalistic church, have you? Where women can't wear pants? You been in one of those? Oh, God forbid. My, one of my craziest memories from growing up in church is going to the park and playing softball and women playing in dresses, but having to hike up their, they'd hit the ball and hike up their dress and shimmy down to first base. You're welcome for that visual. I'm telling you, I was a kid going, why are we doing this? My brothers had long hair. They almost got kicked out of the church because they had long hair. They wanted to grow beards and we almost got kicked out of the church because my brothers wanted to grow beards. And they're like, I think Jesus had long hair and a beard. And Oh, we almost got stoned for that one. We can be very legalistic. Here's a list of rules. And if you don't follow these rules, God won't love you and neither will I. This is where I'm talking about the pyramid scheme that religion seems to be. The only people that benefit from, the, from legalistic rules are the people at the top because that's how they control you. And that's how they control your pocketbook is only if you do the certain things can you be in the right standing in our church. Religion can also be very judgmental. You aren't good enough at religion, so you need to try, try harder. You need to have more faith. You need to pray more. You need to be a good person. Well, what's a good person? Go back to list two, that list in, in the legalistic. You need to do all of these things. You need to do more not for God, but for other religious people so that they can applaud you. You need to light a candle. Maybe you need to light 10 candles. Maybe you had a bad night last night. You need to light 25 candles. You need to, you need to stick a written prayer in the cracks in the, in the western wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Strangest thing, we go, to the, we go to the Western Wall, and you have to put on the little yarmulke if you're, the, if you're a dude, and if you're a woman, you have to, you're, you're supposed to wear a shawl. And you go up to this, it's just, the, it's just a wall. And it was, it was Herod's temple. It wasn't even a temple ordained by God. There is nothing holy about it, but they call it sacred. And you are, you'll see the, the ultra-Orthodox Jews out there praying and if you're really, really spiritual, you'll go and you'll stick a prayer in the wall because God will hear that prayer, but he won't hear a prayer when you're driving down 155. In religion, no one ever compares themselves to Jesus. They compare themselves to other religious people. And if you're doing better than other religious people, yay! If you're not, boo! Religion can be very hypocritical. And no one does it as good as they pretend to, do they? I know a lot of people, and maybe some of you are, are, are those people who left church because of hypocritical people, because of stuff people did to you or to someone you loved. One of the things I absolutely love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't sugarcoat sin. <laughs> Religion sugarcoats sin, covers it up, but not the Bible. The Bible tells it like it is. If someone commits adultery, like King David, they call it adultery. If someone murders, they call it murder. The Bible is so real, but religion's not. Number five, religion takes the focus off of Jesus and puts it on people. Now, I know I'm being really hard on religion, but let me say this. It's understandable that people turn to religion because what we're trying to bridge is the gap between the seen and the unseen. We were talking about this in men's Bible study this morning, the known and the unknown, the natural and the supernatural. And that's such a big gap that sometimes people do goofy things in the name of religion. 
But when you go back and you see the stories of the beginning of Christianity, when Jesus walked the earth and the book of Acts that we're about to open up, there is nothing goofy about it. There's no hypocrisy. There's no judgmentalism. There's no hypocritical or superstitious things going on. The story is just very, very simple. So can we just admit today that sometimes religion gets in the way of us having a relationship with Jesus? Let me, let me ask you again, because that's the point. Can we admit that sometimes religion gets in the way of a personal relationship with Jesus? Yes. Heard Miss Katie, right? That was Miss Katie. I knew that was her. She's always going to talk to me. I can always count on Miss Katie. Sometimes it's good to lose your religion if you can gain a relationship with the Savior. And that's what I want to talk to you about. How many of you would admit that at one time you were too religious? You did rules just for rules. Sometimes the best way to, step, to connect with God is to step away from religion, from your traditions, and try to figure some stuff out. So last week I talked to you about Paul's deconversion story, a deconversion where you believe in one thing and you change. Paul, Paul was killing Christians, throwing them in jail. He becomes the, the most um, widely known Christian and wrote half the New Testament. That's a pretty big deconversion story. This week we're going to listen to him explain the message of Jesus Christ to probably, other than the Jews that I've talked about, probably one of the most religious people people in the history of the world. Um, and we're going to see him explaining this story. Now, the book of Acts is, answers the question, what next? Jesus has, has ascended to heaven, and, and so the disciples are left going, what do we do now? Acts is the story of what they did after Jesus went back to heaven. And a lot of Acts follows Paul after he deconverted from religion and became a Christ follower. And I want you to think about what Paul did, all right? So, so it's one thing to talk about Jews in Jerusalem, talk about Jesus. They know the Old Testament. Paul went to to the Greeks and the Romans, and he said, Jesus is a Jew. He's the son of God. He's not one son among many gods because the Greeks and the, and the Romans thought there were all kinds of gods. We're going to see that in just a minute. He goes, no, there's one God. There's one son of God. His name is Jesus. That means everything you've ever been taught is wrong. Your daddy's wrong. Your granddaddy's wrong. Your great granddaddy's wrong. Everyone of you is wrong. Follow Jesus. Do you see how hard this would be? Everything you've been taught is wrong. So they're like, well, you want us to believe in Jesus? Yes. Where is he? Well, he died, but he didn't stay dead. Well, how did he die? He was crucified. He came back from the dead? Yes. You should believe in him. That was Paul's message. So the story today is in Acts chapter 17. If you have, you know, your Bible app or if you have your Bible, you may want to follow along. There's three different things that are happening in Acts chapter 17. Paul goes to three different cities. There's three different reactions to him telling them this story about Jesus. Now, the first one, he goes to um, Thessalonica. And what, what Paul would do is he would go to the synagogue and he would start talking to the Jews first. And then the Jews would get mad at him because they didn't want to give up their religion. And very often they chased him out of town. Like he had to run for his life. There were times they were letting him down in baskets over the city walls because somebody was going to kill him because they didn't want to give up their religion. So he goes to Thessalonica, he talks to them. They didn't want to give up religion. He has to run for his life. So he goes to a town called Berea. It's about 45 miles away. And the Berean Christians are some of my favorite people because it says that, that every day they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. So Paul goes to their synagogue, start, starts talking to the Jews and the, and the God-fearing Greeks. And man, people are loving it and they're checking out the scriptures. But all of a sudden, somebody shows up from Thessalonica. They heard that, that Paul had gone to Berea. My theory is that some angry deacons heard that Paul had gone and was telling somebody about Jesus. And so they gathered some other angry deacons and they chase him out of Berea. 
So he leaves uh, Silas and, and uh, let's see, Timothy and Silas. He leaves them behind and he goes to um, Athens. Now, Athens was one of the most religious places on the planet. And, uh, and we need to acknowledge that anytime God sends a missionary into a certain area, that Satan, the enemy of God, also has missionaries who resist the messengers of God. Paul spent his entire life running for his life because he said, Jesus rose from the dead and you should follow him. Now, in Athens, he's walking around. He's waiting for his companions to get there. He's waiting for things to cool down. And while he's there, he begins to look around. He sees statues literally everywhere. And they're so religious, they even have a statue to an unknown God. That's what I call covering your bases. We don't know about all the gods, so let's put up this statue to an unknown God. And that's what it said. So we're going to pick it up in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he's waiting for uh, Timothy and Silas, uh, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Here's what it means. When you have idols everywhere, statues of different gods, it means you're very religious, but you're not very certain your religion is right. Because I got to make sure. I got I to have a God for this. I got to have a God for this. And I got I to make sure this God likes me and this God likes me. So we're going to have all kinds of gods. But they also agreed. We don't know everything there is to know. So there may be a God we haven't met yet. It continues, so he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So Paul goes to church. He goes to trade days in Canton. Can you imagine how many people you could talk to about Jesus at Canton? He goes to the, to the parades in Palestine, and he's walking up and down Main Street, and he's talking to people about Jesus. Because when you've seen a dead man walking and talking, you can't shut up about him. When you hear a voice from heaven that says, you're going to be my witness to the Gentiles, you're a witness to the Gentiles. Now, look what happens. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. So let's talk about this. Epicureans believed that the body was bad, everything material was bad. Um, and so Epicurus was actually an atheist. He said, there's nothing after this life. You die and there's nothing, so you might as well live it up in this life. If you need a pleasure, if you want food, if you want sex, if you want alcohol, if you want drugs, do whatever you want to do because you're going to die. So live it up and then die. So the Epicureans were doers. The Stoics were thinkers. They wanted to debate. Let's analyze everything to death. And believe it or not, there's a whole lot of these in Israel today. When we went back with, Janie and I went with my brothers to Israel back in 2016, our first guide who's driving the van was a stoic. So we, you know, we got three preachers in the van and we're asking him questions. And we ask him if he's a Christian. He, he said, I don't worship anything. We're like, okay. He said, there's a group of us that get together and we debate the scriptures. We talk about the Bible. And he said the great thing about his beliefs is if you're smart, because this is what, what the, the Stoics believe. They believe your mind is everything. If you're smart, you can be right 100% of the time. And you can have a friend who believes the exact 
opposite of you. But if he's smart, he can be right 100% of the time. So you got to see this. We're in this 15-passenger van. The, the guide is up here. My oldest brother is asking him questions. My, my next brother is here and their spouses. I'm in the back seat with my sister-in-law and my niece. And so dude says, you can have 70 different smart people think different things and they can all be right. And I looked at my sister-in-law and my niece and I said, he's full of crap. Is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard? You can have 70 different people think opposite things, and they're all right because they're smart. Crap is the word I learned in seminary for that. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> Stoics taught that your mind is all that matters. But the problem is they're, they're so smart, they don't need God. So the Epicureans would say, enjoy life. The Stoics are like, endure life. And then Paul comes along and Paul says, you need to receive new life. And they didn't know what to do with this message because they'd never heard anything like it before. There was no common ground between their beliefs and his. So look what happens. So some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. He wants to add another one to all of our list of gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They weren't getting it. Paul was not trying to add another God. He wasn't saying, no, there's another one. He is Zeus's great, 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 great grandfather that no one knew about. He's going, no, 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 no. You need to blow up everything. You need to start over. All these statues, they're nothing. He's about to tell them, it's nothing. And there's no power. Start over. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. You know what hymn that's from? I know who I'm talking to. Because he lives. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. This was the message of Paul to a bunch of religious people. Paul went from the, the Greek mythology where there's gods everywhere, but you don't ever see them. And have you ever noticed how the Greek gods are remarkably similar to people? Because they get jealous and they fight and they commit adultery and they have sex and they have children and they have conflict over their children. It sure seems like these smart people made up gods that look a whole lot like people with just a little bit more power. And Paul comes along and he says, no. You've got it all wrong. There's one God. He created the universe, and you need to follow him. So Paul goes from this out there, somewhere out there, to a current event. He goes, this happened in your lifetime just a few miles from here. Jesus died on a cross. He was resurrected. And if you don't believe me, let's get on a boat, and let's go across the Mediterranean Sea, and let's talk to some of the people who were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. These philosophers, they don't know what to do with Paul's message because they've never heard anything like it before. It's a current event, and they don't have current events in Greek mythology, in the Roman belief system. Look what happens next. Then they took him, Paul, and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus. So y'all have seen the picture of the Areopagus. It's where they would go and they would debate. It's a court where they would bring people who had a new message, and all the people would sit around and say, are we going to let this guy talk in our city or not? That's really what they were doing. 
So they brought him to the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. Now, the parentheses we're about to read are actually in the scripture. I didn't put this in. This is a parenthetical, parenthetical explanation of what was going on. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. The dudes in Athens are so rich, they don't even have to work. They just sit around and talk. They began to debate Paul, and Paul said, you know, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead, so you need to follow him. So look what happens. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. That was an understatement, and me personally, that's not a compliment, but he's, he's laying the foundation. There were statues to gods, there were temples to gods, there were altars to different gods everywhere in Athens. And he says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar to, with this inscription, to an unknown God. This is brilliant what Paul does. He says, now what you proclaim as something unknown, and I, I actually prefer the New American Standard Version, it says, what you worship in ignorance, I'm about to proclaim to you. You have an unknown God statue. I've met him. Let me introduce you to him. See, at that time, they thought, well, this one God, it's, this God helps with rain. And this other God, he helps with crops. And this other God, he helps with marriage. And this other God, he helps with having children. This God's related to this God because they got married. And then some of them divorced. And again, they sound like humans. But they said, there's still a lot we don't know. So let's, let's do a just-in-case God. Let's make a, a, an altar to somebody we don't know just in case he shows up so we can say, look, look, we were looking for you. We didn't know your name. Now we know your name. Aren't you pleased with us because we're so religious? Many of us do the same thing. I don't go to church all the time, but I go to church sometimes. Why? Just in case. I only go to church on Christmas or Easter. Why? just in case. I'm not really religious, but I'll go to confession once a year. Why? Well, just in case there's a real God. I don't want to offend him. But, but I, don't want to, I don't want to believe in all that other stuff. I just want to have my bases covered in case he shows up. I don't want to accidentally offend a God I've never met. We sound a whole lot like the Athenians, don't we? Paul says, you're admitting that there's something you don't know. I want to talk about that. I've met him. Let me fill, you, fill in the gap between what you think and what I know, and let me introduce you to Jesus. And then he just completely obliterates their religion. <laughs> the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So, so here's the first lesson. This is on your listening guide. God is bigger than your religion. See that temple? God's not going to fit. If you put all your temples together somehow, God's still not going to fit. He's bigger. You're thinking too small. And, and in, the, in the words of the great theologian, Junior Asparagus from Veggie Tales, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman. And he's watching out for you and me. Maybe he didn't say that, but I would have. He's saying God is so much bigger than your box and your statues and your altars and your temples. And then look what he says. And he, and he, God, is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything. See, they would bring food to their gods. What does he eat? A peanut butter sandwich? A club sandwich? A Reuben. 
If you really want to impress God, bring him a Reuben from Pint and Barrel. That's just weird to me. They would bring money, clothing, bribes. And Paul says, not only is God bigger than your box, he doesn't need that stuff. In fact, the true God that I want to tell you about, he's the one that gives you even the breath that you breathe. Look what he says, from, from one man, talking about Jesus, well, actually from Adam, from one man, he made every nation of men that he, they should inhabit the whole earth, and I love this, and he, God, determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Believe it or not, God chose for you to live in this place at this time. God chose for you to be born to the parents that you were born to, whether you're adopted or not. God knew. And God set your beginning point and your ending point. He's got it set. He's so much bigger than what religion has to offer. And with this statement, he just totally exploded the whole Roman and Greek religious system of multiple gods. Not a God of this mountain, not a God of the sea or the valleys or the God of the moon or the God of the sun. There is one God. And honestly, I think this is what I believe. I believe the demons operate the way that the Greeks and the Romans did. I believe there are demons assigned to different territories. I get this from, from Daniel, uh, I think it's chapter 11, 10 or 11, where Daniel's praying and, and an angel says, I came to answer your prayer. D Daniel prays for 21 days before God answers his prayer. And the angel says, I was detained by the prince of Babylon. And, he's, and I believe it was the Archangel Michael. The Archangel Michael had to come and help me so that I could come bring you the answer to your prayer. I believe demons work like the Romans. There's a God of this and there's a God of this. Lowercase g, by the way. But Paul says, no, there's one uppercase g. There's one true God. And he's so much bigger than anything you can imagine. So Paul says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. We have to admit that the whole purpose for religion actually started out good. It was, let's see if we can figure out who God is. But then men started doing dumb stuff and goofy stuff, and religion got off the topic. Instead of worshiping the creator and glorifying him, religious people started worshiping creation and glorifying themselves. Look what Paul says, for in him, God, we live and move and have our being. And then I love this. He says, as one of your own poets has said, we are his offspring. Talking about God's offspring. Well, yeah, that's true. One of our poets said that. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. These statues and these temples can't begin to capture how big God is. So Paul's saying God made us in his image, so it's foolish for us to make gods in our own image. Greek religion was simply worship of gods who were just like human beings and acted like human beings. Paul says this in verse 30, in the past God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In the past, you didn't know what God was like, but now because of Jesus, you've got no excuse. So repent means to change your mind about what God is like. And, and if you were an Epicurean or a Stoic, the greatest thing they had was their mind. And he says, you need to change your mind. You don't need to add to what you think you know about God. You need to do something else. 
Paul's saying, I'm here to tell you about this God you don't know. And this God has done something. This is the cool thing. In your generation, just right across the Mediterranean Sea, he's done a current event, and the tomb is empty, and that changes him, makes him different than any other God that you've been creating with your hands. For he has set a day, he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, talking about Jesus, he has appointed. He has given proof to this, of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The good news is you're seeking God. The bad news is your God is too small. The good news is you have a statue to an unknown God, and, and this unknown God has decided to make himself known to you as the great news. And because he knew you would be skeptical, Paul says, he did a current event in your lifetime that is so undeniable that people are still arguing over why the tomb is empty. Everybody believes the tomb is empty. The Romans, the Greeks, the Jews, Jesus' followers. You just got to figure out why is the tomb empty? And I believe it's because God raised him from the dead. Now, just like some of you are having a difficult time, some of them had a difficult time. Look what it says. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. That's not possible. It's not possible for a God made in human image. It's not possible for the, for the statues, but it is possible for the true God. But some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Now, three different reactions. Some of them said, not possible for God to be raised from the dead. Some of them said, we're not sure. We need to hear more. And then look at the third response. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, it's entirely possible that you had a bad religious experience. Maybe you did some strange things and you disappointed some religious people. Here's the good news about religion. Religion says, let's reach out and try to find God. But you don't need religion. You need Christianity. Christianity is the only one that said God has reached out to us. Last week I talked to you about um, you need repentance or you need to be forgiven of sins. Today, God has provided a way to you be forgiven. God wants to be known, and when he raised Jesus from the dead, God made himself known. The author of life now offers life to anyone who will follow Jesus. That's good news. God sent a person to show us what God is like. He even staged an event in history that no one can deny. And it shows his power and his mercy and his grace. That's the resurrection of Jesus. And we don't ever have to wonder what God is like because God's told us this in Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. You want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. So religion asks, who's right? Christianity asks, who is Jesus? Religion asks, what's true? Christianity asks, what happened and when? Religion says, what sacrifice do I got to do to get God's attention? There's got to be something. Do I have to cut myself? Do I have to give a certain amount of money? Do I have to put a certain amount of prayers in the, in the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? Christianity says, God's already made the sacrifice. You just have to receive it. So my point to you today is Jesus is not religion 2.0 or 10.0 or 200 or whatever version of Windows is out now. He's not an option that you add to your religious activity. Jesus is the answer to the question, who is God? 
this crazy message that was different from any other message men could come up with. It caught on in Athens, and it's still going to this day. That's why we're here. Because the majority of us in this room believe Jesus rose from the dead. Now, some of you may not believe that yet. And it's my prayer that you're going to keep coming back and listening. The message of the Bible, it's so much more simple than religion makes it. Here, here's our first two things we talked about. Last week, your sins can be and need to be forgiven. This week, God has reached out to us. You don't have to reach out for him. He has reached out to you. So here's what I want to say, and then we're going to pray and get out of here. If you focus on Jesus, your doubts about religion will probably get stronger. The more you love Jesus, the more you're not going to believe in religion. But the more you focus on Jesus, the more your doubts about God will get smaller. Jesus didn't come to be a religious option. He's the only option. He came to answer the question, who is God? God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for your sins, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Don't look at people. Don't look at religion. Look at Jesus and how I, how I pray that some of you really come to know him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you for your love and your grace to be poured out on this time, Lord. And it's my prayer that, that your word would penetrate our hearts. You said in, in Hebrews that your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and judges the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. We need our hearts to be judged today, Lord. Some of us would say we're Christians, but we don't act like it. Some of us would say, we don't know. Some of us say, we're definitely not. God, I pray that you would light a fire under each person and show them that religion's not the answer. Jesus is. Help us to take that message and be fearless this week, sharing that other people need to follow you, the risen Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.